This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com With uh, just by a little bit of Chazara, repetition of last week's class, which is very, very important, very critical going forward. And we talked about the idea of meditation, which we learn out from the Merkava, Master Merkava, which is the Merkava is a chariot. It's a vehicle getting a movement. So we are getting closer to God, and Hashem is getting closer to us. It's a chariot going both ways. So we get, as soon as we get close to Hashem, Hashem gets close to us. As Rabbam says, every step you take close to Hashem, Hashem is getting close to you. You move further away from Hashem, Hashem is going further away from you. So medita- meditation, that's, uh, we, said we gave, the, we gave the, the nomenclature in Hebrew is Kavana, it's Hidbodidut, and it's Hidbonenut. Hidbodidut is basically is seclusion, secluding oneself. Bodhid, for the word Bodhid, and Hibodhinut is an internal seclusion. So you can be with other people, but you can be meditating with other people around you. That's Hibodhinut. You're thinking about something particular. So sometimes, you know, like an absent-minded professor, right? Absent-minded professor. The story is in Yerushalayim, in Haranof, there was a professor over there. And one day he sees a kid on the street, he says, tell me, he says, do you know where I live? So the kid looks at him in amazement, he says, Daddy! <laughs> In other words, he didn't even know it was his son. <laughs> Daddy, <laughs> do you know where I live? There's another story, it's also a true story. That uh, the guy, the, the professor was on the train, and uh, the ticket collector knows who he is. This guy's famous, he's in the papers all the time, he's in the newspapers, on the radio. And the, the, the guy, the professor's looking for his ticket, although he can't find his ticket. So Tikkilet says, listen, I know who you are, it's okay, you don't have to worry about a ticket. He said, no, he says, you don't understand, I don't know where I'm getting off. That's, my, that's, the, that's how I know where I'm getting off. So you see, the brain can be focused on something, and then you forget about everything else. So that's the idea of meditation, we do it all the time. The only trouble is, we're not doing it for a positive thing, we're doing it because we're, our minds are focusing on other things, our problems usually, or issues that we have. So we talked about last week about different ways of meditating. We talked about externally directed structured meditation, which is a mantra. And we gave out the sheet now. Everyone has a sheet. And there are different kinds of meditations, different kinds of mantras over here. Ribbono Shalolam. Ibdut Hashem Simcha, which became a song. And they repeated over and over again. Ibdut Hashem Simcha. Serve Hashem with joy. Serve Hashem with joy. Serve Hashem with joy. Elemet, my rabbi in Israel. Elemet, Moshe Emet, Ratu Emet. God is true. Moses is true. The Torah is true. Nachumish Gamzu, Gamzu Latova. Suppose something bad happens, the person says, Gamzulatova, Gamzulatova. Keep repeating to himself, it becomes a mantra, they focus on, this will also be good, everything will be good, everything will be good. Well, Baruch Hashem, we say it, but we don't really say it with gusto. We have to say it over and over again, thanking Hashem for everything He gave to us. And number six is a classic Sephardic uh, mantra, Ishtabach Shemur. Or if you want to add La'ad, Ishtabach Shemur La'ad, Ishtabach Shemur La'ad. My father was very big on that, Ishtabach Shemur. His name be praised. So you can say it many times over till it filters into one person, because part of the person. So that is external, because it's external to you, but it's directed, structured and directed. So externally directed and structured mantra, that's a mantra. Externally directed and structured meditation. And those are the easiest meditations. The easiest meditations are externally, you have something to look at. You have something outside you can look at. And it's structured, so this way your mind is not f- flying all over the place. It's focused on a certain specific thing. That's the easiest thing. And that's why mantras are so popular, and even in secular societies you have mantras, right? 
uh, let's make America great, uh, making America great again. It's a mantra. It becomes a mantra. Right? So even secular societies, everyone has their slogan and a mantra, and you go to a sports game and they're repeating a phrase over and over again. You know, the, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, whatever, I don't know what they say at the sports games, but they repeat over again. It becomes like a mantra. They get excited, you see them, and they're like kind of meditative state in a sense. But it's a waste of time. Why? Because it's not based on anything Kedusha. You're not trying to get to anywhere. You're not striving for a goal, uh, a worthwhile goal. So here we have a striving for a worthwhile goal. Our goal is to get closer to Hashem through the meditation. <coughs> so repetition of this mantra can be audible. You can say it to yourself. And Breslau are very big at that, saying it loud and screaming, you know, Gavalt! You know. I was once in Amuka. It's a true story. I'm in Amuka. And we actually had a minion there all night. There's no electricity. So it's pitch black. And we took a generator with us. We took a minion with us. And we prayed... We were learning all night, and, and we prayed with, with nets, and we heard the foxes, you know, foxes in the valley, because you're right in the valley, and there's the woods, there's a forest all around you, and the, you hear the foxes and the wolves, and it's pretty frightening. And these guys in the, you know, all around, you got hyenas, also, it's wild. And all of a sudden we hear, Kavalt! And all the foxes run away. The rest of us came, and the foxes ran away. <laughs> Amazing. So it was wild, it was fantastic, it really was fantastic. <laughs> so, okay, those are the true masters of the forest. They're the masters of the forest. Okay. So, but they, they scream, they shout. So, very, they're not shy. They scream and shout. So, why not? If it helps you to meditate, scream. For example, the halacha is you meditate the Shimon Esri quietly. That's only if there's people around. The Shulchan says, if there's no one around, and you're home, and, you, and it's better for you, for your own meditation state, to say the Shemona Yisrael loudly, say it loudly. There's no one around you, you're not disturbing anyone. The point in the shul is not to say it loud, it's because you don't disturb anyone. But if you're home and there's no one around, you could say it louder. For you to focus. So sometimes it does help you focus because you say the words, you're hearing the words. So there's two kinds of med- meditating inside, internally, meditating externally as well. Loud. If you're in a train carriage, I don't advise you to say it loudly. loudly. But today, you know, people are doing all, all kinds of things. You know, you get away with it today. Another example we said of structured, externally directed meditation is if you look at a crystal ball, or look at something which you're trying to focus on something. Particularly. Sometimes you can put a flower, you can put something else, and think about the greatest of Hashem. Look at the trees, look at the flowers, look at the plants. That's also externally directed, because you're looking at something external of you, and it's directed because you're looking at something. And it's structured because you're looking... Okay. God's name. And I gave out the sheets. For those over the sheets, Yud Kevavke. Just looking at Yud Kevavke. That's, a, that's a externally directed structured meditation. You think of Hashem. And a person can think. Yud Kevavke stands for Hayah, whatever. Yeah, he was, he is, and he will be. Hashem is above time. Hashem is all powerful. Adonakol. He was a master of everything. So a person can think and focus on Shem Hashem and use Shem Hashem to try and harness. Oh, no, it's not a nice word to harness. To attract energies from Hashem. Hashem is the source of all the energies. Because you can feel the energies. In fact, I saw a beautiful um, breathing meditation. Person breathes in. Hashem loves me. Person breathes out. I love Hashem. Hashem loves me. Hashem, I love Hashem. Hashem loves me. I love Hashem. It's very powerful. Very simple. Very powerful. Imagine a person walking down the street, breathing in. Hashem loves me. So comforting. <laughs> breathing out. I love Hashem. It's a mitzvah every day, every second of the day, to love Hashem. So here, a person is focusing on their breathing. Imagine, 
something simple like breathing. We breathe all the time. How many times a minute we breathe? So we're breathing. So might as well focus it. Person doing nothing, walking down the street. So two people walking down the street. One person is saying, Hashem loves me. I love Hashem. The other guy is walking down the street listening to his Walkman. I don't know what he's today. Forget about Walkman today. So he's listening to something. Some garbage junk. So it's a totally different experience. It's a totally different experience. Especially when it's a nice day, Hashem loved me. When it was a nice day, Hashem loved me. It's beautiful. We don't really think about enough how Hashem loves us. We have to really think about it. Hashem loves us. Hashem, Hashem loves us more than we will ever know. How do I know? Because I'm a father. And just like a father loves, loves their children more than children love the father. <laughs> Hashem loves us more than we'll ever know. Hashem loves us. He created us. He made us. He loves us. So we have to focus on that as well. That's a very powerful idea. We have to internalize it by meditating. So the point of meditating is to internalize the point of meditating is to attract certain energies to the person. So that's internally directed. Internally directed means a person is thinking on their thoughts. A person is thinking on their thoughts. Certain things in their thoughts. There's nothing outside them. It's not externally directed. It's internally directed because they're thinking in their mind. So a person can visualize Yud Kevavke in their head. That's internally directed. That's the idea. The idea is you won't even need a piece of paper. You can be alone in the dark room and you won't need anything to help you meditate. Totally internally directed. Totally internally directed. Okay, so that can be practiced purely in thought, and sometimes you want to verbalize it, you can verbalize it as well. The third basic type we said is non-directed, which we said is, I wouldn't even advise it, it's the hardest meditation, it's a very dangerous meditation, which is just to empty one's mind, and withdraw from all perception, both internal and external, and that's a very advanced kind of meditation, and the Kabbalists call that, the highest level is called me'ayin, it's a meditation of Ayin, which is a meditation of Ayin. Ayin, you have always read, David Amelach says, from where will come my help? But Ayin really means nothing. From nothingness. So opening one's mind to nothingness, because Hashem is nothingness. Hashem is nothing and everything. Ensof, Baruch So that's, that's the most advanced meditation, the most dangerous meditation, because we don't know what's going to enter one's head. You know, which side it, which, is it coming from the right, good side, the bad side, and that's the danger of just uh, un, unstructured, un, you know, undirected meditation, non-directed. Okay, so there's meditation of the intellect, which you talked about, the meditation of the emotions. That's that's an interesting concept. Meditation of emotions, like for example, a person is focusing on the love of someone. A person says, you know, I love my. The Rambam talks about love of a god as like a love of a woman. It's very, it's a very strange Rambam, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very strange Rambam. It's very much like Romeo and Juliet, right? The, the, the longing and the yearning and the love of this person, and uh, then he says, substitute that person for God. Like Shir Hashim. Like Shir Hashim. Exactly Shir That's what Shlomo Melech talks about. The love of the shepherd for this uh, this woman, and just substitute for the woman, just substitute God. That's what, that's what Rambam says. It's amazing. So, person say, I'm, you know, I'm really in love with someone. I'm really in love with someone. But the substitute say, I'm really in love with God. Woo! Totally different level, totally different thing. So that's what Rambam says. So that's the emotional meditation. A person meditates for their love, focusing on that person, saying, How much? You know, looking at that person. You see sometimes a parent looking at his child or her child, so just staring at the child. The child says, Why are you staring at me? They don't really realize that the parent is focusing their love on that person. They love their child so much. So that is an emotional kind of meditation. And then we talked about the body kind of meditation, which we talked about just earlier about this breathing, right? Breathe in, God loves me. Breathe out, I love Hashem. Hashem loves me, 
Very simple. Very simple meditation. Very simple, very powerful meditation. So the path of intellect is very prevalent amongst all the theoretical Kabbalists. And uh, the most common method was to contemplate on various aspects of the Torah. Now that's, we talked about the Arizal, when he's alone, he's focusing on the Zohar. Zohar is impossible to understand. We said one of the books of the Torah you can read and fulfill your mitzvah of Torah is the Zohar. Why? Because no one's going to be able to understand it. You don't have to understand it because no one can understand it. So how did Arizal understand it? And the answer is he meditated on each line. He would not go further until he understood that line. He meditated over it a thousand times until he got the message. And that's something very good to do on every pasuk in the Torah. How do you think Rashi got his explanations? Well, usually he quotes Midrash and other sources. But sometimes he says, I couldn't find a source. Like, for example, the Ephod. Right? The garment of the Kohen Gadol, one of the garments of the Kohen Gadol is an Ephod. What is an Ephod? There's no Mishnah, there's no Gemara, there's no commentary, there's no Midrash, nothing. So Rashi says, Libi Omerli, my heart tells me. It's like a backwards apron. So like the women who go horseback riding wear in France, I don't know. I don't know. He just says, and all the, all the pictures you see are like Rashi, because no one else talks about it. <laughs> no one else talks about it. So like, but how does Rashi know? And the answer is, Libby or Mary, how did he get it? And the answer is, he meditated somehow and he got a message. He got some kind of clarity in his mind. Very interesting. And we see this in science. You know, the great inventors and the great scientists, and they have this problem, and thinking about it all the time, and they have this eure- eureka moment. The meditation sort of... Psh- all of a sudden they get this clarity in the mind. And we all, it happens to all of us. Sometimes you think about someone's name, and you can't remember the name. All of a sudden, psh, clarity. The person gets the name. So, but that's something a person knew already. I'm talking about something a person doesn't even know. You know, someone told me, he was a, he was a policeman in Israel. And he says he, he developed a sense of being able to see people behind him. Because it's a possibility. The, the mind is amazing. If they know and start focusing in certain areas of the mind, they can start seeing things around them that, that you can't really see with the eyes. You can start feeling things. And that's the idea of meditation. You're seeing things without your eyes. You're seeing things in your mind. The eye and the mind. And imagination is very similar. But here it's not imagination. It's, it's the mind itself focusing on something and getting clarity on that thing. And the person's slowly getting messages from, from outside as well. That's the highest level. So, such contemplation is important. The Mesilat Yisharim, Ramchal, very big Kabbalist. Ramchal was a very big Kabbalist. Ramosha Chaim Zato, he wrote Mesilat uh, Yisharim, and he wrote Mesilat Yisharim to get you to the path of Ruach HaKodesh. But it's, that's Ruach HaKodesh. Now, who can get Ruach HaKodesh? Obviously, a person's going to be very, very holy. Because the word Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to rest on the person. So, most people can't get that unless we're holy. We already get to the level where you get Ruach HaKodesh. But part of it is meditation as well. But sometimes the meditation is very simple. It doesn't have to be very complex. Just by focusing on Bereshi Bara Elohim. Bereshi Bara Elohim, Bereshi Bara Elohim, Bereshi Bara Elohim. Until the Rav Shimon Bar Yochai writes a book, Tikkun Zohar, on the word Bereshit. He has countless explanations on one word. You focus on one word, just focus on one word. That's a meditation. You focus on one word and he, he gives you all different combinations of that word. Amazing combinations. Amazing combination. It's interesting, Bereshit is Aleph Tishrei. The letters Bereshit is Aleph Tishrei. It's staring us in the face. Where was the world created? Bereshit, Aleph Tishrei. It's staring us in the face. It's so <laughs> We can't see it. We don't meditate on it. So here he tells you. Shimon Bar Yechai meditated on this. 
And he says, I can write a book on every word in the Torah. Every word in the Torah, I can write one book. Wow. So he wrote one book on Breshit, but he didn't write, <laughs> we don't have the other books. You can write every word in the Torah writing a book. Or? Wow. Amazing. It's possible. So the path of the emotions is especially important in our tefillah. Baruch Elokeinu, our God. We talked a little bit about last week. Our person is going to feel connected to Hashem. Elokeinu, you're our God, you're my God, you're my personal God. And Elokeinu, and God of our forefathers, which we're going to talk about tomorrow night in the Gemara class. Why are they our forefathers? How come only Abraham and Sabi Yaakov are considered our forefathers? Why not uh, Ruvay, Shimon, Levi, Yudai, Yisachaz, Vurun, Dan, Naftali, Gabi, Asher, uh, Yosef, and Benjamin? How come they're the only How come they're the only mothers? The Quran says. How come only four of them? And we're not even descended from them. We're not all descended from Rachel. We're not all descended from Leah. Some of us are from Leah. Some of us from Rachel. Some of us from the Imahod. And yet only Rachel and Leah became. You have uh, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah. So, so we're going to talk about it tomorrow night in the Gemara class. Interesting Gemara. But the path of the emotions is very important, especially tefillah. And Breslov really took it to the nth degree. And a path combining the intellect and the emotions is the path of love. The Ramban writes that when a person contemplates deeply on Hashem, thinking of his mighty deeds and wondrous creations, he becomes profoundly aware of his wisdom and is brought to a passionate love of God. That's the Ramban we talked about. We gave that example. So the intellect and the emotions, the intellect causes the emotions to be ignited. Person thinks about whatever Hashem did, and and thinks of all the hakarat atov, how much a person owes Hashem, how much he did for the person, causes the person to love Hashem. So it's a combination of intellect and love, and that love, the highest level of love, is called cheshek, desire. And David Amelech is very big, in, right? Just like a, a deer is thirsty for the water, he says, "So my heart is thirsty for you, O God." Imagine the thirsty deer. How much is a deer thirsty? Look at the analogy of him. The deer runs around in the desert, runs around in whatever, looking for water. Finally finds water. How many days is gone? He's very thirsty for the water. He's panting for the water. He says, so I'm panting for you, Hashem. Amazing. That's a very high level of desire for love. Love with Hashem. And we know the greats all died. Nishikata Mavit. We talked about it last week. Nishikata Mavit, which is the highest level of death, which is the soul just gets... Sucked out by the by the by Hashem, how? Because it's attracted to Hashem to the point where it just gets just gets out of the body like that. That's called this, the kiss of death. And the path of the body, which we talked about, breathing exercises and moving and swaying, which uh, people do during the Shmona Yisrael. That's that's part of the physical uh, meditations. Now, there's one word which is consistently used to mean meditation by the commentaries, and that is hibodedut which is derived from the root bodhid, to be secluded. In Kabbalah, it refers to a state of internal isolation where the individual mentally secludes their essence uh, from their thoughts. So in other words, we have thoughts all the time. But now, who am I and who are my thoughts? Am I my thoughts or my thoughts extraneous from who I am? It's amazing. What What an idea, right? The thoughts... Are me or the thoughts are around surrounding the person? Who is the person? Are we our thoughts or our thoughts part of? Uh, we think about our thoughts, but we're not our thoughts. So, a person's going to separate who they are from their thoughts. How do you separate your essence from your thoughts, boy? So, a person's going to focus in their mind. 
this is my thoughts. So, you know, a person's mind is never vacuum. We're thinking constantly, and we're going from, even right now, even while I'm talking, I'm sure people are just thinking, even in your mind, the thoughts are coming into your head right now. Your person's praying to Hashem. Thoughts are coming into the person's head non-stop. So you are not your thoughts. You are your essence, and your thoughts are your thoughts. How a person's going to be, the hitbodded dude is going to be mentally as well. A person's going to be able to exclude themselves from their thoughts. Hard to do. Rav Chaim Vital, who was born in 1543 to 1620, often speaks of such mental seclusion. He said one must seclude oneself in the thoughts to the ultimate degree. In doing so, listen to this, one separates one's soul from one's body. In other words, your essence is your soul. The thoughts are where they're coming from, from the body. If I Ramam says, when a person eats, you shouldn't go to sleep straight away. It befuddles the brain. I mean, the thoughts are affected by what a person eats as well. So a person can separate their essence from their thoughts. They're really separating their soul from the body to such a degree that they no longer feel any relationship to their physical self. The soul is now isolated. Hear that? Amazing. How can a person do that, right? Try and do that. Separate yourself from your thoughts. I am me, and my thoughts are extraneous to me. Huh? What it means is, where are your thoughts coming from? They're not coming from you. They're coming from your senses and your physical body. That's your senses are part of your physical body. Your thoughts are coming from your senses, or events that happen to you, whatever things things extraneous to who you are. Plus, we'll talk about other kinds of meditations, like who am I? It's a very scary thought. You look in the mirror and you look into your eyes and say, "Who am I really?" You are your soul. Who you are, your essence. Who am I? What kind of essence do I have? Is the essence good? Is it bad? We know the soul is good. We're going to talk about this because there's a beautiful diagram. I found a very excellent book on this topic, and I'm going to recommend it for everyone to, to get for next week. We're going to recommend it as Raja. Very interesting. Um, a person should read all the books by Eric Kaplan. There's three books Eric Kaplan wrote on this topic. Um, but there's a book which is next level up, which we're going to, we're going to start studying. That book, uh, we can do it inside the, inside the book. It's a fantastic book by Rabbi Rubin. Rabbi Rubin. It's on Amazon, $20. Not bad. So it's a very good, excellent book. It's the next step after Ari Kaplan. And he's, he has some very interesting diagrams about this exact topic. Who the person is, where's the Yetzirah, where's the Yetzirah Tov, the essence surrounded by these forces. So when a person can separate themselves in their thoughts, in other words, my thoughts... Try and push the thoughts out and try and figure on who am I? What am I? I am praying to Hashem. These thoughts are coming to my head. Let's remove all these thoughts. I am busy doing something. I am focusing now on myself. What am I doing? What am I? Me, I, me myself, my, my essence. So he says, the more one separates oneself from the physical, so basically the thoughts are all coming from the physical, from the physical experiences, the more a person can experience enlightenment. The state of mental seclusion is very important to the prophetic experience. The clearest description of the state is presented by the Ralbag of Levi ben Gershon, 1288-1344. was a major philosopher known as the Ralbag. He writes, The attainment of Hidbodadut requires the isolation of the consciousness from the imagination. So who you are is your conscious, 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 your conscious state. And your imagination is where the thoughts coming from all the time. Imagination all the time, but thinking all the time. 
One of the clearest expressions to be developed by the Rabbi Abraham, the son of the Rambam, he writes there are two different types of hibbolidut. There's external hibbolidut and there's internal hibbolidut. External hibbolidut is nothing more than physical isolation, and that is usually desirable uh, because most people, they can't focus when people are around. You can't focus, you have noise and this and that, so you need external isolation. And the internal isolation, internal hibbolidut, consists of isolating the soul from the perceptive faculty. Now, I've been in a, you know, the, when I was in college, there was a chamber over there called a, so, uh, what's it called? Sensory deprivation chamber. Oh boy. Anyone been in a sensory deprivation chamber? <laughs> so, uh, basically, it's, uh, it's got foam, six feet of foam in every single wall. And there's no floor, it's a net. And underneath the net is six feet of foam. You go in there, you can't hear a word. You could talk, and your voice is absorbed by the walls. You can't hear a sound. And they close you in, and it's dark. And you're in there, you can't hear a thing. It's very strange. It's very spooky, in a sense. A person's got to be very strong-minded to focus the mind on something positive. A person can go crazy over there. So usually people don't last there more than a few minutes. They knock on the door, get me out of here. It's, it's crazy. It's worse than solitary confinement. Because solitary confinement, you can hear noises around you. You know, you're not alone. And the, the jailer, the, but over here, it's like, you can't hear a thing. Like, I can imagine what a person, when they're like, when they're deaf, or they're blind, they can't hear, they can't see. It's They have all their other senses. Touch. Oh. What other senses? Taste. Smell. Well, people who are blind can hear very well. Can't no, but you can't hear anything. You're in this, in this chamber. Oh, right I'm saying, but if they're deaf and blind. Okay. So I don't know what it's like. It's very, it's very tough. It's a different world. It's a totally different world. It's like you're living in this dimension, but a different dimension. It's a different world. It's very hard to understand, very hard to imagine, unless a person goes into the sensory deprivation chamber and you see what it's like. You can't even see what it's like. I mean, just feel it was like. So now, the first people to engage in these meditative techniques were the patriarchs and the prophets. And there are many allusions to this in the Torah. However, the Torah does not give us an account of how to get to the state. It doesn't tell us. The earliest statement regarding method comes from the first century of the early Talmudic period, we find the Talmudic sages engaged in meditation, and many of their techniques consisted of meditation of divine names. So there's a book called Heichalot Rebati, and that explains that during the, uh, the Tanaim, Tanaic periods, where the time of the Mishnah was written, they uh, talks about different meditations, and uh, they focus on different names of God, which is it. And we talked about last week about the meditation, the beginning of the Siddur, did we talk about it? Did everyone see it? Mm-hmm. So we should maybe maybe one day we'll look at it more carefully. And that's brought down by the Benishchai. The Benishchai brings it down from the Arizal that different parts of our, our bodies basically are, we should imagine, are the vehicle, what they talk about, the Merkava of Hashem, the chariot of God. Who is the chariot of God? A tzaddik is the chariot of God. A person is righteous, the chariot of God, bring God, as, bring God into this world. So he's a vehicle to bring God into this world. So you can imagine different names of God sitting around on the body, inside the body. So there's the name of Hashem for the head, for the eyes, for the nose, for the ears, different names of Hashem. So that's uh, bringing Kedusha into the person. Thinking, you know, Hashem dwells within me, Hashem is, I'm, I'm the vehicle to bring Hashem into the world. It's a very high-level meditation. It was during this period that the different books of Kabbalah, Sefer Yetzirah, the Bahir, Zohar, all these were written. 
but these involved only the barest hints. They don't really tell us explicitly how to do this thing. So that's that's the problem. The problem is the great Kabbalists didn't tell, they didn't write down the, the techniques. So uh, we're basically left on our own, in a sense, to find out these techniques. And Arya Kaplan did a great job when he tried to dig out all the techniques in the book called Jewish Meditation, and Meditation in Kabbalah, and Meditation... Uh, in, the, in the Bible, meditation in the Bible. It's very, very, very beautiful, Sefer. Um, so I just want to quote something from Arya Kaplan over here. <clears throat> so he says, at this point, it's useful to, to discuss and classify different meditative techniques. The techniques of almost all meditative systems can be classified in, diff- in similar ways. And as a general concept of meditation exists, all forms have characteristics in common. The situation is analogous to that of prayer, which is important in all religious traditions. Certain elements are characteristic of all prayer. This does not mean that one system of prayer is derived from another, or even the relationship exists between the systems. Rather, similarities stem from the fact there are a limited number of basic ways of relating to God. Interesting. So just like there's a basic number of ways to relate to God, there's also a basic number of ways to meditate. doesn't matter what religion, doesn't matter what, what system. There's basic ways of meditating. So for example, he says, Every prayer can fit into three categories. Praise, petition, and thanksgiving, which is basically the four of the Shemun Asrei. The first three brachot, the Shemun Asrei, are praise. Thirteen middle brachot are petitions. And the last three brachot are thanks. So he said most prayers, in general, any religion. Petition, you can ask God for certain things. You can thank God and you can praise God. What Jews add is what's called self-judgment. We also judge ourselves. That's the sh- that's the vidui, which is unusual. That's not a very standard form of prayer. Self-judgment. So in Jewish prayer, these three divisions are formalized and follow a set sequence. Nevertheless, you find, if you look into other faiths as well, you'll see the same thing. The same is true in meditation. There are a finite way, number of ways in which a person can interact with their own mind. And these form the categories of all meditations. Interesting. Okay, so let's give a little example. He says, meditation is a controlled manner of thinking. Simple example. On the simplest level, you can decide to sit down for the next half hour and just think about one particular subject. And just give me an example. It's a very mundane example. You want to think about how to rearrange your furniture in your living room. <laughs> mundane example. person sits down for five, ten minutes. He starts thinking in his mind today. You don't have to think in your mind today. I have a computer program and your virtual reality, and you'll see it. You can even wear these glasses, and they'll show you how to rearrange the furniture in your room. This is this, and this, and this. But a person in those days, you have to, uh, you know, for example, a designer, right? An interior designer is going to walk in the room and try to start imagining how to rearrange the furniture, how to rearrange the room, what colors to make the walls. It's a meditation. It's a mundane kind of meditation, very mundane kind of meditation. So the very fact that for a specific time period you were thinking about a specific topic... Rather than letting your mind wander at random, makes it a meditative experience. So we're all meditating. To a certain degree, we're all meditating. Plus, reading a book, it's a very structured meditation. If you're really focusing on the book, sometimes it's dangerous because you're actually living in the book. Your mind is living in the book. You're living the part of the, of the hero or the heroine of the book, and you're living that. That's why I don't like to read these books. Why do I want to live someone else's life? Why do I want to live in someone else's mind? I don't have my own mind. I don't worry about someone else's mind. I'd rather live in God's mind than live in the. Harry Potter. Uh, you know, these kids, it's amazing. The kids reading Harry Potter. How does it affect them? I don't know. Okay. Depends. Some kids are very, affects them very drastically because they have a tremendous imagination. 
They're really living. They're really living the experience. They're immersed in the experience. More so than a movie. A movie comes to an end, but a book takes much longer. So you're really immersed in it. Right? Why, do you, why do you call it a meditation? Because you're focusing your mind into something. That's meditation. Like you. You also meditate. You meditate. The, the patient has so-and-so problem. You think about it. That's, that's a meditation. When you think about something, you meditate. So whatever you're thinking about it, so whatever you're thinking about is meditation. Whatever you, if you're focused you're, on it, so you're if you're focused like, on something, you're, you're meditating on it. You're like losing the external world. You're focusing on whatever exactly, you're focusing exactly. On. Some people can focus more than others, and, and that's like, a great, that's a gift. Are there like correlates to that? Like are they what? Car, like anatomical, like is it different EEG brain waves? The brain waves are different when you're doing it. I don't know. That's your job. I don't know. <laughs> you, you do the experiments. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hundred percent. Isn't it almost the opposite of meditation when you can't get your mind off? You know. That is the meditation. That is the meditation. If you're focusing on one thing, you're meditating on it. No, no, no. Sometimes you have cyclical thoughts. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying that's oh, okay. But I'm saying if you're if you're meditating on something, for example, uh, I don't know, a line in the in the book. Can't get it out. It's just stuck there. <laughs> that's a line. Even if you think about cleaning for Pesach and you're going through everything you need to do. Okay, that's a meditation. <laughs> that's a meditation right there. It's like meditation. It seems like we're here to meditate to, you know, recover from that kind of thought. Why? It's a, you're engaged in a mitzvah. So it's a, it's a, engaging. Meditation isn't necessarily relaxation. Yeah, exactly. Most people think that's that's exactly the point. Most think people when they meditate, they think about yoga, <coughs> think about something which relaxes the mind. No, it's not. It's not a relaxing experience. The prophets were not relaxed at all. In fact, they got very, very tense. And then we said that's why the prophet had to be a very strong person to withstand. They got into a, a state of uh, like an epileptic fit. They get into a fit. Hashem just takes over the trance-like state. Hashem just takes over the whole body. And they start shivering. And... But we're not going to get to that uh, stage. Don't we? We're not going to get to that stage. But what we're trying to do is trying to get some kiddusha. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get holiness. How do you get holiness? And the answer is meditate on holy things. Meditating holy things. So, maintaining a mitzvah, we're going to talk about thinking about a mitzvah. Person busy thinking about a mitzvah. Attracting holiness from the mitzvah. Every time a person does a mitzvah, he meditates. Let me give you an example. A little example. Benishchai. Beautiful Benishchai. Benishchai says, when you do the mitzvah of stakah, right? He says, a person should think yud kevavke. How? The money is yud. It's a small thing, or a check. You just think of it as a yud. Your hand, five. Hey. You stretch out your arm, vav. And the, the person who's receiving has got a hay as well. So very simple meditation, very powerful, simple meditation. Yud, hay, vav, and he's got a hay, come here. So just, just bring God into everything, bring godliness into everything, and bring the power and the energy of Hashem into oneself. That's, that's the idea. So it's not just meditation, stun. We're not just meditating for the sake of focusing the mind, which is very important today, just to focus the mind, because a lot of people can't focus their minds. A lot of people just can't focus. Or vice versa, the person just focuses on the wrong thing, can't move their mind away from something. That's also... To be able to meditate, you've got to move your mind away from... You've got to learn a technique to move the mind away from focusing on rubbish, on garbage. Just, and that's why the person... That's how it's so hard to pray the Shemona Esra. Because our minds are full of other things coming in all the time. So controlling the mind is part of the meditative experience as well. The person's got to be able to control the mind uh, to tune in and tune out. That's really the key. To tune in and tune out... So it's much easier to tune in than tune out. Tune out is much harder. We said emptying the mind of all the thoughts. It's, it's the hardest thing to do, and it's also very dangerous because who knows what's, what's going to come in. So the most effective thing is to think good thoughts, focus on something which is positive. And so 
So what do you do when other thoughts begin to creep into your mind? Remember, the decision was to think about whatever you're meant to think about and nothing else. It's basically, it's a lot of self-control. It's mind control. And it's very hard to do. And it's very hard to do. But we do it if we're forced to do it. For example, a person is an, an example. And they have the questions in front of them. Now. If, if they're smart, they're going to focus on the questions. And you're forced to do it, otherwise you're going to fail. So you're forced to do it. So we can do it. The mind can do it if they want to do it. Okay? There's a will. Now that will is interesting because that will is an emotional will. It's, it's coming from deep down inside. I need to do this. It's, a, it's an emotional thing. Not just intellectual, it's emotional as well. So you might gently push the extraneous thoughts out of your mind. Or otherwise pull your mind back to the desired subject. So you have two options. You, have, you can put out the, the, the noise, background noise. Or you can extinguish it. Or you can focus more on what you're thinking about, which is much more easier than foc- distinguishing the background noise. So the Shulchan Aruch talks about this. What do you do in the middle of Shulchan Aruch when the thought comes into your head? What do you do? What do you do? I just carry on. I just continue because... But what you do, ideally, you should stop, get rid of that thought, and then continue. But the trouble is, if you do that, you're, gonna, you're just going to be... I know you're not going to get anywhere because every time you stop and you continue, something else comes into your head. Stop, continue, it's going to take you ages to do that. But it's a good practice. But the main thing is to do, I think the best positive thing to do is to focus on what you're doing. Focus on what you're saying. Focus on the positive. Put your finger on the place and focus on the word you're saying. That's really the key. So whatever method you use to keep your mind on the subject, in doing so, you'll be developing the rudiments of full-fledged meditative technique. So that's really the, the basis of meditation, is focusing the mind. If you could focus your mind on something, that is meditation. If you can remove your mind from something, again, sometimes I want to think about something, but you want to, it's not good to think about it. So you want to remove your mind from it. That's also meditation. You're learning how to control your mind. So be able to switch on and off the mind, that's, that's tremendous power. That's a tremendous ability. So let's give some very basic, fundamental meditations. Okay, number one. What do I ultimately want out of life? This, you should write this down, because this is, this is fundamental. This is fundamental. What do I want out of life? What do I want out of life? How do people know what they want out of life? Well, the American dream is... What's the American dream? Pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure. Pursuit of pleasure. That's the American dream. That's what I want out of life. I want a lot of pleasure. I want a lot of fun. You ask the people on the street, what do you want out of life? Fun. Okay. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our ultimate pursuit in life? Number two, what gives my life meaning? What is the most meaningful thing I can do in my life? That is a very, very important question we all have to ask ourselves. Number three, what is the meaning of life in general? What does life mean? Is it just an accident? And we're just over here? Obviously, we're not, because we, none of one would be here tonight. <laughs> it was an accident. We don't believe in accident. We believe Hashem has a plan. So what, what does it mean? What is the plan? What is the goal? If I had to live my life over, what would I do with it? Oh, boy, that's a very hard question, and it's a very loaded question. What would I do with my life? Would I change anything in my life if I had to live it over? And you know what? That's really part of Teshuvah. I was going to think about it to do Teshuvah. Person goes back and says, Hashem, you know what? I made a big mistake. I wasted 40 years of my life. Please, Hashem, if I had my chance, this is what I do, and please make it as if I did it. And to shoot me out, a person can change their life. They can erase the tape and rewrite it. Number five, and this is, oh, this is a heavy one, heavy-duty one. What ideals would I die for? 
the Torah tells us already three things, cardinal sins, three cardinal sins. But what are the ideals? Like, a person goes to the Israeli army and they're ready to die for the state of Israel, they're ready to die to save the Jewish people. That's what ideal. And in fact, when do we have to think about this? It says when a person says Shema, a person says Echad, they should be Moser Nafsho al Kiddush Hashem. A person should practice when they say Shema Israel, I'm willing to give my life for Hashem. It's, uh, uh, number six, what would bring me more happiness than anything else in the world? Just these are random, these are, these are very important ideas to, to meditate on. So meditate doesn't mean, just meditate on what is important in life. These are very important fundamental questions. So again, what do I ultimately want out of life? What gives my life meaning? What is the meaning of life in general? If I had my life to live over, what would I do with it? What ideals of any would I be willing to die for? What would bring me more happiness than anything else in the world? So we, we barely think about these things. These are fundamental questions that no one even thinks about. Like imagine a person sits down and gives you 10 minutes. If you give 10 minutes a day to one of these questions, you're probably unique. These are the most important things, and no one thinks about it. We grow up. No one ever taught us to think about it. So most people go for career counseling, if they ever go for career counseling. And that's, that's really the most important decision they're going to make in their lives. That's it. What am I going to do with my life? What am I good at? What am I this? What can I make money? What is this? And that's it. But is that your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? That should be the first question. What is my purpose in life? What is my goal in life? What, what brings me happiness in life? So we've all thought about these questions sometime, but the chances are it's all very brief. We've never really meditated on it. And that's the problem. The problem is we never meditated on it. So maybe if we meditate on it, we get some kind of response. And that's what happens. I know people who are looking for messages. And they Hashem, you give me a message, give me a sign. Where do we see this in the Torah? Gidon. Right? Hashem says, Gidon, you are going to go and fight the Midianites. He says, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, make the grass uh, wet, and then make the grass dry, and every, all the other grass wet. Uh, do this, and do this, and do this. I have to sign, I have to sign, I have to sign. So it's very, sometimes we need messages from Hashem. So the person says, you know, I don't know what message. Oh, Hashem, you show me the way. And all of a sudden, Hashem does things for a person. It's amazing. All of a sudden, the person's life is rearranged. It's wild, it's, uh, but it happens. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. His, what? His life was rearranged without him even... Sometimes he was a kid even. He was a baby. His life was rearranged. So, after half an hour pondering any of the above questions, how about we could ponder half an hour? You might decide that the question needs more than one session of meditation. Maybe half an hour a week, half an hour a day. Uh, these are hard, heavy-duty questions no one even thinks about. After several weeks of such meditation, this is her Arya Kaplan talking, you will probably begin to notice yourself growing in a number of areas. Just by meditating about these important ideas. A person may decide to reevaluate the direction of their life, make major changes in their lifestyle. Suddenly you see people changing. What made the person change? What made the person a Baltajua? What happened to them? And the answer is they started pondering certain things that no one even ponders. What is my what is my purpose in life? Is there a God? What does God want from me? What is my what will give me pleasure in life? Where am I going? What am I doing? What is my direction? Or a person says, you know what, I'm unhappy, I'm I'm restless, I, I feel there's something missing in my life. But a person only gets to that stage if they think about it. Then a person doesn't think. And unfortunately today's society we're not taught to think. And it's not about these important things. You talk about thinking about your job, you talk about thinking about making money, making a living, and having fun, and that's it. 
And then people said, mine's there. There's gone. The media. On entertainment. And that's it. The mind is gone. So we like to entertain ourselves. So these are, these are meditations. So thinking about deep topics is meditation. As you continue to, to explore what is most meaningful to you, you may come to a point where you feel you are reaching a new threshold. You may find yourself pondering not only meaning of your own life, but the very meaning of existence in general. At this point, you've discovered Hashem. It was, who created everything? If you're discussing now, if you're thinking about now, where did everything come from? You just met Hashem. Hashem says, Boketov, I'm here. Where did everything come from? I'm here. And this is how Avraham Avinu found Hashem. Hashem. Avraham Avinu is pondering and pondering and meditating and thinking about these deep thoughts. Until finally he says, where did everything come from? Hashem says, here I am. You found me. Boketov, I'm here. So that's the first way of finding Hashem. And that's the Hashem which is out there. But there's another Hashem which is in here. It's the same Hashem, it's not two Hashems. There's Hashem out there, which is Hashem the Creator, and there's Hashem in here. So one way of discovering Hashem is by asking questions, saying, where, is it? where did everything come from? And Hashem says, here I am. The second way is delving deeper and deeper into oneself. And here one Hashem finds Hashem as well. But finding Hashem is inside us. So we find that uh, Hashem, that the Kabbalists talk about Hashem, encompasses the world and is inside the world as well. So the, the creator of the world is the, is the God around the world. He encompasses the world. He created the world. But there's a God, my God, who's also inside me as well. So Hashem is out there and Hashem is in here. Hashem is very close to us, closer than the air we breathe, closer than our very souls, and in a sense He fills all creation and is in there as well. And that's what the, the Torah says. What does it say? You build a Mishkan. What does it say? Vishachanti betocham. And I will dwell in you. I won't dwell in it. I will dwell in you. Huh? Huh? I can't hear you. Right. Okay. So it's, uh, it's very important. The mish- uh, we, are, we are the Mishkan. And we said the Sadiqim are not just Mishkan, they are also the Merkava, which is a different. It's the Mishkan is just stationary. Merkava is moving and traveling and, and doing things and bringing God into the world. So once Hashem, a person discovers Hashem in this manner, he may want to transform his meditation into a conversation with Hashem. That person can start talking to Hashem. And the truth is, when we are praying, we are talking to Hashem. But the trouble is, we have to imagine it. So a person can imagine that Hashem is standing in front. That's, that's what the Shukana says. The whole posture of a person standing before God. You're standing before God. We go back three steps because we're in awe. We go forward slowly in front of God's presence. And then when we leave again, we go back three steps. All this is to try and get us into this idea. We are standing in front of God. But it's so hard to imagine. It's so hard to think. And we're having a conversation. It may be a one-way conversation. But a person's going to try and have a two-way conversation with God. Hashem, please give me a sign. Tell me what you think. I want to know what you think. And you know what? It's very dangerous sometimes to think, uh, to get signs. I had a guy in Vancouver. He'd always come to me. He says, Rabbi, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does Hashem want? He says, this sign, this sign. It drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but Hashem has, has a way of showing you signs. You know what? 
There's a thing called Goral Hagra. Have you heard of it? Goral Hagra? The Hagra had a system of opening the Tanakh. Different ways of opening the Tanakh. And just pointing to a certain Pasuk, and that's the messages in the Pasuk. Amazing. But if we can have a conversation with Hashem, but the truth is we have a conversation. But usually it's a one way conversation. Asking for this and asking for this and asking for this. But a person really has to believe that Hashem is giving them what they need. And that's the answer. The answer is sometimes no, and sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is maybe, just like a, ch- a parent tells a child. So that's what Midrash says. This is exactly how Abraham Avinu's career began. In fact, there's a nice book house school produced for children, right? Uh, who is the builder? Right? It's a beautiful book and picture. Who built the palace? And everyone knows the, the analogy is this world. Who built this world? So first, Abraham began to contemplate the meaning of life and existence, and that's how he discovered Hashem. And then he begins to have a dialogue with Hashem. And that is really a paradigm of how to have a relationship with Hashem. Again, the problem of extraneous thoughts arise. One way to alleviate this problem is to speak to Hashem out loud. So that's what Breslov did. Talk to Hashem. Answer me, Hashem. Master the universe, master the universe, master. So eventually there is some kind of. A person feels at peace. A person feels like they got a response. And the truth is that the most powerful is the Tehilim. If anyone's in trouble, I highly recommend. Someone is sick. Tehilim is like. It's a mikvah. It's like encompasses you, encompasses you with comfort. David Amir's words, they're amazing. They trigger amazing energies and they encompass a person. And they can, it's amazing what a person can do with Tehilim. It's very powerful. It's like a knife. Cherep pipiyot biadam. There's a sword of, of, of lips in one's hands. A person's prayers are like a sword of lips. What does that mean? It says, Yaakov uh, says, I took Shechem with my sword and my bow. Well, what sword and what bow did he take it? So Rashi says over there, his tefillah. His tefillah is like a, we have to, the power of prayer. Huh? Isn't there maybe 151 uh, uh, There's 150, but if you go to Dead Sea Scrolls, you see Dead Sea Scrolls, there's 155, 156. Mm-hmm. There's, there's five or six extra. I can't remember. I, went, I was there and I saw they have, they have more than the, the we have in the Tehillim. Okay. Imakolil. Everything's Imakolil. <laughs> yeah, I just add God to the equation. You get one more. So, so, so using oral conversation, obviously you have to be alone in the room, away from other people to be use oral conversation and talk to God. And a person can talk to Hashem in their own language. And, and when we're in trouble, we naturally talk to Hashem. Hopefully. But it's a very important, very important. And the Ramban, Nachmanadi, says the mitzvah to, to pray is when you're in trouble. There's no mitzvah to pray on a daily basis. According to Ramban, according to Ramban, there's a mitzvah to pray at least once a day from the Torah. According to Ramban, there's a mitzvah to pray when you're in trouble. Every other time, it's really rabbinical law. But for Torah law, it's a mitzvah to pray when you're in trouble. And uh, it's very powerful to say tilim. It's like just cuts through all the troubles, cuts through a person's problems. At least it's very comforting. It's a very, very comforting. A person prays with their heart and put their heart into it. It's a very comforting experience. So um, the three important things a person can be said about the above time. Okay, so number one is a verbal type of meditation. It involves words and thought or speech rather than images. Number two, it's inner-directed. 
the entire form of the meditation comes from within the person rather than being determined from the external stimulus. And number three, it's unstructured because you're meditating on what is the, you have a question in your head. What is the purpose of, the, of, of my life? It's unstructured because you don't know where it's going to lead you to. So it's a basic question. It's an open question. So some people find an unstructured meditation too loose. So what you can do is you can write out an agenda. I want to think about these things. These are things which are bothering me now. I want to meditate on these issues. Now, have you really, truth is that uh, good leaders and good uh, guides, they, they write down what their goals are and they start meditating on the goals. How do I achieve this? But sometimes you have the wrong goal in the first place. <laughs> You've got to meditate first. What is the goal? As soon as one sets up an agenda of meditation, it becomes a structured meditation. So again, it can be loosely structured or it can be tightly structured. Meditating with an agenda is a practice favored by the Musar schools. So Rabbi Israel Salanta, what is your agenda? I want to fix my attribute of anger. Now I have an agenda. How do I fix it? So I have to do this and this and this and this. That's my agenda now. So now I'm going to meditate on this agenda. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to achieve. Fix myself. Another way to add structure to your meditation is use a biblical verse. Oh, that's very beautiful. And sometimes verses just hit you. I don't know, I'm reading Book of Tehillim, and some verses just, I'm so attracted to it. That right there is a meditation for you. You read Torah and you find a verse that just talks to you. You read Mishlei and the parable, or Pirkei Avot, it just talks to you. That's your verse. Take it and run with it. That's your, that could be a meditation for the whole day. Just think about it, think about it, think about it. It's very interesting. Um, I got emails from this group, I think it's Chabad, I'm not sure, who split the, basically the book of Tehillim among many people, and like in times of trouble, they send you an email that you say your verse. Very brilliant idea, you know. I don't know if you heard of it. So, okay, so I, said, I signed up. I said, okay, send me my verse. Oh, gosh, I got the most beautiful pasuk. I tell you, it's like a Hashem gave me a bracha. Like they sent me this pasuk out of nowhere. <laughs> so I tell you, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous. So, Person can take it, a pasuk, you see a pasuk, you like it, fly with it. Go, that's a meditation right there, it's beautiful. Is that different than the mantra? That's, that becomes your mantra, you can become, make it mantra. But a mantra, aren't you sort of just like saying it over and not really meditating on the meaning of it? Just, well, you could also, you can, if you're meditating on the meaning, it gives you added, you're adding to it. It's an added experience. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's even more powerful because then you're not even meditating just on the, on the, on the speech, you're meditating on the thought as well. It's a high level. Um, I just want to give you a little Benish Chai. Benish Chai says Yudke Vavke. What is Yudke Vavke? So that we know there's four different dimensions. According to Kabbalah, there's four different dimensions. The lowest dimension is the dimension of action, which is where we are, Asiya. The Asiya, that's the that's last hey. So if you think about Shem Hashem, if you go backwards in Shem Hashem, the last hey is our dimension, actions. Actions are the lowest spiritual level. Which, I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? All the mitzvot, right? Action, action, do, 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 do. But the truth is, the action is the vessel to enclose the thoughts. If there's no action, you can't really put it in a box. You can't put anything in the box. Think about it as a box. So the action is the container. The vav is speech. The person uses it to the action. So he says, very important, before you do a mitzvah, say something. So what do you do? You say the bracha. That's why the rabbis made a bracha on the mitzvah. So you have the speech and you have the action. And what's above that? The thought. That's the hey, the first hey. The first hey is the thought behind the mitzvah. The person has to have the concentration, the thought, and the speech, and the action. So what's the yud? Yud, he says, is a ratzon. It's the will to do it. 
between the will and then the thought, speech and then the action. So that makes up the Yipke Vavke. Again, another meditation. It's another meditation. Suppose before he does a mitzvah, he says, you know what, Shem, I have the will to do your mitzvah. I'm making a yud for you. And then I'm going to make a hey for you by saying it, by uh, thinking it. And then by vav, I'm going to say by saying it. And the hey by doing the action. So it's, it's a, that's, that's how people, that's how the holy people bring holiness into the world. They're building God's names all the time. Whatever they're doing, they're making God's names. And that's our job, is bring God into this world. So the method of, of basing a meditation on a verse is known as gerushin, which is uh, interesting, which is divorce, really, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You are trying to pull out, basically, the meaning of the verse. You try to pull out. And this was used by the mystics as fat. We said this is how the Arizal and the Zohar just kept on going, kept on repeating, 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 and meditating about the verse, meditating the verse. Simplest way to use a biblical verse is meditation. For example, it's yeah, we say it over and over again. It's, uh, we say it three times a day, and plus we say the Bikar Amazon, and as far as we say all the time, person has a spare moment, and the person really needs cash. It's amazing how it works. It's just, it's like, it's like, nothing, uh, try it. Spiritual physics. But opens the hands. So it's a kind of meditation. Uh, you look up, you know, it's amazing. You know, sometimes I watch the news, Israeli news, the news from Israel. You can, on the internet, you can see the Israeli news. And you see these people, for example, t- today they were, they were inducting uh, people with, uh, with autism into the Israeli army. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Think about it. So which army? It's like a joke. Like you take these guys into the army. Okay, so they volunteer in the army. They wear, they want to be part of the army. They want to feel like they're part, doing their bit. So they volunteer and they go and they, they stuff, uh, you know, emergency kits with things, different things. Like basic stuff. They do basic stuff. So they ask the guy, like, what, what do you want to do? So he tells you, Avoda. And he will say, Avod. I mean, he's barely, you know, he can barely articulate it, but he's pushing himself to articulate whatever. So they look at the mother and say, what's going on? How, how, is he, how did he get to this state? He says, I don't know, he says. Look up there. <laughs> Not really a religious woman, doesn't look religious at all. But, I mean, it's amazing how these people are so spiritual. So, what's making him to do this? What, who's, ma- who's helping this man to, to get to this state where he can push himself to go and volunteer? I mean, he's done a, his mind is not working properly. So eventually, he says, you may wish to make the verse the entire subject of meditation. Your meditation will become a conversation with the biblical verse. Be thinking about the pasuk, looking at different ways, seeking different possible interpretations, and attempting to apply it to your particular life problem. And that is the next step, which is how do I apply this pasuk to my situation? Okay, I'm going to have to stop here. Um, But we're going to continue next week, and I have a fantastic book. A uh, very practical book as well, so we can start doing things. What's the name of the I don't have it here, but I have to get it. I'll get it for you next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.